Thanks, Heather, for leading and for doing that reading there. And, uh, <coughs> yeah, I appreciate the, the way Paul has written to the Corinthians, to a church that was, um, well, built of unlikely material when you read through the book of, uh, through the, the letter to the Corinthians. It's amazing, you know, the people that God had put into his church and how he built them and how he supplied all that they needed according to his grace and according to the gifts that, that he gave them, which were sufficient to make them sufficient to do what God wanted them to do. Bob's going to be speaking to us uh, in August about Corinthians, but let me start this. <clears throat> I'm going to stick to my notes as much as I can because I don't want to keep you here till the evening meal time. <laughs> How would you feel and what would you do if you walked into a workshop or into your garden shed and found a box of gelignite and 60 detonators spilled among a pile of tools and other metals. I'll get to that story later, so stay tuned. As I give this testimony, I'm aware that some things I say will appear maybe arrogant or proud, but please understand that my story is one of the mercy and grace of God working in and through unlikely material raw material. I learned very early that I could do nothing apart from Christ as Lord. And I've learned also, as Paul stated in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that God is faithful. Max was quite excited last Sunday giving the announcement about me speaking, <laughs> saying that I would be telling some stories of Warburton Rangers, so I'd better do that. Uh, but... <clears throat> Before I get to Warburton, I need to explain to you some of the things of the early life, uh, which um, uh, really had a great bearing on what I was able to do at Warburton. So I was born in the, in the farm life a few years after the Great Depression and just prior to World War, uh, the beginning of World War II. And uh, I'll digress a little bit to say that uh, back in those days, just as a very young boy. Um, Dad was in the uh, Victoria, the um, Defence Corps, uh, went off to, um, <clears throat> to board every Saturday to learn to be a soldier. And uh, I can remember sitting down with him many, many times, going through the chart of uh, silhouettes of enemy and friendly aircraft. I was only about four years old at the time, but trying to learn those things and also helping him to clean his 303 rifle. And uh, I used one of them at Warburton to shoot the cattle sometimes. Uh, but, um, but then following the, or during the, the end of the, uh, the war years, uh, there was the very severe droughts of the early 40s. And farming was a huge struggle for my family. But as I look back, I thank the Lord for that experience. Living frugally was necessary preparation for the mission life to come. Same goes for horses on the farm. Um, I understand what it's like to drive a team of 10 Clydesdales and uh, to ride light horses and 
This gave me something of an understanding of the life of the Aboriginal stockmen around the Mount Margaret mission area. And of cows and learning butchering sheep and all that all came in handy for mission work. Might be surprising, but it was. Even working red hot and white hot iron on the blacksmith shop on the farm as a boy was a useful skill in later mission work. We were a Christian family. My paternal grandfather was a member of Barraport Baptist Church for many years, and my um, maternal grandparents were active in the Catumnal Methodist Church, and it was of that church my parents were members and where I attended Sunday school and the afternoon service. We travelled by four-wheeled buggy drawn by two horses at the Sunday school and the church. My father was a white man, a regular church attender, never worked on Sundays apart from milking a few house cows and feeding stock when necessary. He was a non-smoker, he never touched alcohol, and I never heard him swear. However, he didn't speak openly about his faith in Christ, and I never knew until a decision card was found in one of his old books a year or so ago that he had made his commitment to Christ at Barraport Baptist Church. My grandpa, Grandpa Hawthorne, taught me to drive his 1926 Judy Baker when I was nine years old. I was sitting on his on his knees a long time before that, steering and and uh, changing the gears. Uh, and that that old uh, 1926 Judy Baker was still still a family car back in uh, right into the early 50s. Um, wire out of an old out of old ignition coils and pieces of shiny material found along the railway line amongst the coal from steam trains provided the wire and the crystal for experimenting with crystal radio sets, even experimenting using the telephone party line for antenna and winding coils, which enabled me to listen to the telephone conversations. <laughs> now, that wasn't really wicked because all you had to do was go inside, lift the receiver, not the handset, but the receiver on an old phone, and you could listen to whoever was on the party line anyway. So. Um, school life was hard labour for me. I was slow to learn and couldn't see much future beyond the farm, except perhaps for two exceptions. Um, firstly, a DC-3 passenger plane passed over the farm at 9.30 every weekday morning, on its way from Essendon to Mildura, and uh, I wanted to fly, but that was another world away, quite out of reach for me. Secondly, we travelled to high school in Bort by train from Barrenport three days a week. And I got to know the driver of the petrol electric train, and he taught me how to drive it, and a few times left me to it while he sat outside the driver's compartment reading the daily paper. So, train driving was going to be the future for me. And then a few, day, a, few, a few years later, the ambition was to drive trucks carrying to Melbourne. Well, I just think it's important to go into some of this detail to give an understanding of the person was going to use in, uh, in time to come uh, pretty raw material. I was 13 and a half years old when Graham Smith phoned my parents asking if he could take my sister Pearl and me to Korean Convention. 
consent was given to this 19-year-old young fellow from a neighbouring farm about five kilometres away. And away we went, having no idea what a convention was. But we did know that we would be sleeping on straw-filled mattresses in separate uh, church halls. And I can, I can remember these details as clear as if it was yesterday, actually. Uh, the convention tent, the marquee, was on the block just over the street here, uh, where the fire station is now. And uh, the main speaker was Reverend Walter Batch from Brunswick, Brunswick Methodist Mission. On the first meeting Friday night, he spoke on Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I had never heard preaching like that in my life before. I had a sleepless night. A battle was raging in my heart during the Saturday morning as, uh, as he spoke on repentance of sin and turning to Christ. But it wasn't until the appeal was given at the afternoon meeting that I res responded. I was counselled by Stan Waddingham, uh, bank manager from Bort, and then was greeted by radiant Graham Smith shaking my hand saying, that's a decision you will never regret. The theme song was the, of the convention was Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, Look Full in His Wonderful Face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I should add that the Sunday before we had a visiting preacher at Catumnal Church, and all I can remember is the final hymn I hear thy welcome voice that calls me, Lord, to thee. I am coming, Lord, coming now to thee. Wash me, cleanse me in the blood that flowed on Calvary. So in the words of John Wesley, I felt my heart strangely warmed, but that was all I knew. A week later, I understood what I read many years later, of course, what John Wesley wrote in his journal, and I quote from his journal, in the evening, I went very unwillingly unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter to nine, while he was describing the change God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. End quote. The next two years, I attended uh, Christian Endeavour at Barraport Baptist, and the, there the Lord taught me how to pray. Very uncomfortable for one so timid. Also, the importance of Bible reading. Also difficult for me, not being a good reader, and using my grandmother's Bible, which was a very old Bible, with Roman numerals and very fine print, but still it was useful for preparing papers for reading at uh, Christian Endeavour meetings. Stan Waddingham led open-air meetings in, uh, in Bort every second Saturday night. This was preceded by a half-hour prayer meeting and then standing on the street corner opposite the pub and opposite the post office on that corner there in Bort, while the picture theatre crowd was in line to purchase tickets for the show. Graham Smith, he was only 19, 20 at the time, he was playing his uh, piano accordion, and Stan Waddingham and Graham took turns at preaching the gospel, and the rest of us would shout out gospel shots um, 
at the appropriate times. And I had a few Bible verses which had been learned for uh, Sunday school. And there were some of the gospel shots that we would uh, shout out to the people. Following this uh, open-air meeting was the Bible study held in uh, Stan Waddingham's home and led by Stan. And for two years of thorough Bible teaching from Romans verse by verse was a very real blessing. I was encouraged to listen to uh, Radio 3SH, um, their weekly hymn singing uh, from Sankey's book. I've actually got the book here with, um, with something that I wrote in it a long time ago. <clears throat> Radio station broadcast Sankey's hymn singing for half an hour each Tuesday night. This book was offered us as a free gift to those who wrote in and requested it from 3SH. And this book was used regularly in the open air meetings in bought from 1952 to 1954. So the open air meetings. <laughs> About a year went by and I had a very strong conviction, a calling, if you like, to preach the gospel. I was only 14. Um, and I went along to the Methodist ministry in town during a school lunchtime and told him the Lord had called me to preach. Poor man. Uh, just coming from a 14-year-old. I heard nothing of this re request uh, for some time until my Sunday school teacher, David Lewis, who might recognise him, uh, asked me to tell the children's story at Mimondi Methodist Church where he was to preach the next Sunday. And this led on to announcing hymns and leading in prayer and so on. It's amazing that anyone would take that risk with such a young kid. In 1954, Tuesday after Labor Day, I started working at Arden and Greenwoods as apprentice motor mechanic. And this was not the original plan, um, as I was already accepted to work at the Ford dealers in Bort. Bort in the, in the town of Bort was arranged, but just before I was to start work, uh, the landlady phoned my mother to say she wouldn't have me because she learned I had been speaking out at open-air meetings. Also, I was one of a very few who carried New Testaments at school and used them as in witnessing school, school assembly uh, was called at one stage and the head teacher announced a ban on the practice and threatened to expel anyone who continued, so I wasn't wanted. But with no other board in place in, in Bort, work at Kerrang was considered and soon became a reality. So this church became my spiritual home. It was great to be a part of Christian Endeavour here, and what a blessing to sit under the ministry of uh, Reverend E.R. Philip. Uh, John Ridley was an occasional visitor. And uh, Ivor Powell, the band from Wales, uh, had a week-long mission here in the church. Clem Clack from Melbourne uh, came a few times to show slides of the development of the land of Israel, re-established as a nation in 1948. <laughs> These are just some of the things that I remember from those early days at the, the church here. But even with all this, I lost my first love for the Lord. 
going to the picture theatre and later to dancers were either a cause or a, or a result of this. Remember, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The things of earth were no longer dim, but they shone like beacons. Board costs went up beyond my wages, and so the tent dwelling down the south end of Marn Street began, and life was pretty rough. But the Lord intervened in all this with storms and floods. Uh, 1956, you remember. Some of you would remember. Um, and the Reverend T.G. Hinton, minister here, came walking through the flooded block in the midst of a storm, shined his torch in the tent and told me to come home with him. <laughs> I was pretty wet. They <laughs> to shower and, and dry clothes. So after this, um, Mrs. Ibbs, that's Beryl's mother, Beryl Baker's mother, took me in as a boarder. And her encouragement was a major part in rededication and a renewed calling to ministry. And that uh, ministry... We start, started with uh, Sunday school teaching and then on to preaching. Perhaps I should say also that I spent uh, some months with uh, Beryl and her first husband, Bill, and I remember something very significant that we tried to carry on in our family, and that was Bill always cleaned the family shoes on a Saturday afternoon in preparation for Sunday. And I believe this is a very, very important principle for us all to follow. I'm not going to start preaching, but anyway. <laughs> prepare on Saturday for what you're going to do on Sunday and be thoroughly prepared to come to worship on Sunday morning. That makes a tremendous difference. Well, I started with Sunday school, preaching, and then on to teaching and uh, preaching and having a motorbike. Then I me to go to Kahuna uh, to a newly established fellowship meeting in the town hall. Other places included uh, Dingwall, Sandhill Lake, Mile, and Neurong and Caldwell in New South Wales. All very valuable experience learning how much more there was to learn. But the joy of serving had returned and, and thoughts of two years study at Melbourne Bible Institute became a goal. I met Dorothy in November of uh, 1959. We both had mission work in mind and so we applied to MBI. Developing friendship and subsequent courtship was hard going at MBI as the frat ban, used to say, was strictly enforced. Men not allowed to speak to ladies on the campus without senior student permission and only if it had to do with ministry appointments. Studying for two years was great preparation for the years ahead. Not just Bible study, um, not just Bible study, but hearing from many mission societies every Monday morning, learning to live with others, experiencing Sunday school teaching in various locations, religious instruction in schools, included about 12 months, I think, at... Um, um, teaching year, uh, year 10s at Caulfield Tech. Um, I was only a kid, didn't have much experience, um, but that was an interesting year. There was choir singing 
English classes to learn how to write letters and to understand English grammar, which never made sense to me at school. It's also designed to help us to understand Greek grammar. Bookkeeping was an essential part of training for mission workers. Mission headquarters required monthly financial reports, a challenge for somebody who had difficulty in maths. Handwriting was also going to be a challenge. And I admit that even now my writing is very scratchy. But in the context of the will of God and his grace, the hard and difficult things became understandable. I did become able to write fast notes of lectures, able to cope with, uh, with English um, and Greek grammar. I'm reluctant to tell uh, the exam results, but just to show the grace of God, I, I will uh, tell you a couple of those. There was no other explanation apart from the, the um, grace of God uh, for the 100 percent in First Corinthians and the 90s for two terms in Greek, just to name a couple. Uh, marks for Greece, uh, Greek dropped off a little bit as it got harder and harder. <laughs> um, but just to show a little bit of balance, I didn't, I didn't do well in church history, not at all. Failed every time. I think mainly because I couldn't understand the Irish accent of our lecturer. <laughs> so a diary found amongst books last year just gave me these details. Uh, and that diary is also a record of courtship. I found it interesting reading that in most times that Dorothy and I met off campus, of course, that we prayed together. References to praying in Glenfrey Road, Flagstaff Gardens. Was sitting in St Paul's Cathedral, praying about our studies, about our future, about serving in mission. I praise the Lord that I passed all the subjects and the LTH exams at the end of second year, but that was mainly due to the excellent teaching by Clifford Wilson. But I had learned through those two years at MBI the truth of the words of Jesus in John 15 verse 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. A large percentage of graduates from our years entered mission fields and home ministries. Many became our prayer partners. And what a blessing to put aside those two years getting to know God and his word better, learning the great value of fellowship with those who purpose to do the will of God and to experience the Lord's provision in providing sufficient work during term holidays as well as cash donations to pay MBI fees, so fees. All these lessons would be tested uh, in the following years. It was while at MBI that uh, Dorothy and I received a clear call to serve God with the United Aborigines Mission. And here, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 to, to 29, took on a personal reality here. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the base things of the world and things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to, um, to, bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. It, <clears throat> Well, we're accepted as candidates for the mission about September 1961. Dorothy had spent a couple of um, uh, 
long-term holidays at Bomaderry Children's Home in New South Wales. I expected to be sent elsewhere for a probation period before marriage, if that was ever to take place. We were advised that there was an urgent need for a nurse and motor mechanic truck driver at Warburton Ranges in Western Australia. We asked if we would marry as soon as possible after MBI. So the question was set then, wasn't it? <laughs> um, they didn't have to ask us again. <laughs> so marriage was fast-tracked to 3rd of February 1962 and after a little preparation, we left for, for WA. I gained some experience on heavy transport, uh, working for a few weeks with uh, main liquid transport in Melbourne. But when we arrived in the mission field, um, I was dismayed to see the mission supply truck broken down at Mount Margaret, some 610 kilometres from Warburton. So we were taken out to Warburton on, uh, on a smaller truck and a few, few general goods and our belongings. I had about a week to unpack and settle Dorothy into the hospital where we were to live and return to Mount Margaret to repair the Foden truck. About three weeks later, I was on my way back to Warbo's with a load of supplies and mail. It was a very slow 720-kilometre drive from Leonora Railway Station to Warburton. But long periods of separation was to be the pattern for most of our mission life, but we were able to use the Flying Doctor radio daily to keep in touch, except those periods when Dorothy was in Perth for the birth of our boys and in Melbourne for the birth of twins. I heard about the births by Flying Doctor Radio at the scheduled times when a third of WA could have heard. <laughs> and we also had to keep in mind while we were speaking when I was out on the, on the track, um, when we were speaking there, we had to remember that any number of people could be listening in on the conversation. <clears throat> Warburton Rangers was a hard place spiritually as satanic oppression was very real and witchcraft was practised with result. But I found having men with me on the supply runs the best time for sharing the gospel around the campfire at night and away from oppression. After a couple of years, I was uh, appointed superintendent manager of the mission. Being responsible for the township and welfare of 400 people was very demanding. It was a seven days a week work with two months off every two years. And the mission was short-staffed. We had to make sure the 120 kids were showered and clothed and fed each school day. Most adults were on some sort of a pension, children were on child endowment, and the payments of these came in one cheque for the mission to supervise the food and clothing, and some was used for power and water and the water expenses. I was responsible for the maintenance of these utilities as well. A call for help would often come in the night to bring somebody uh, to, uh, to the hospital or to help the men remove a spear from another's leg. I'm not, going to I'm not going to take the time this morning to describe that operation, but if you can imagine three metres long spear having to be drawn right through a man's leg, that's uh, quite a business. <laughs> Um, the mortality rate amongst infants was very high and I would get a call from the hospital to go and tell a parent that a child had died 
or tell a family member of, a, of an older person's death. Sitting tearfully with the bereaved while the, while the tribe wailed and cut themselves with sharp stones to draw blood proved to be a bonding experience. But that wailing was soon followed uh, by a burial. It had to be the same day. About 12 months later, though, there would be a second burial for an adult person. And the purpose of this was to call out to the spirit of the deceased person, capture it and drive it into the grave. And only then would the logs be removed from across the grave and the grave filled in with earth. I did many, many burials out there. Um, I'd like to tell you one instance. Uh, uh, I might have told you this one before, but anyway... Um, we were out on the second burial. I usually took a, a load of people out um, on the back of the Austin truck and um, we'd find the place where this burial had taken place 12 months early and everybody would be in a big circle right around the grave. Might have been, you know, several hundred metres uh, uh, around and um, they'd be grabbing... Uh, branches off the trees and they'd be sweeping the ground and waving the branches in the beating the air and gradually coming into the grave calling out for the spirit of this departed man and they keep at that keep at that gradually moving in and and uh, most times they would come right up to the grave and thrash the spirit back into the grave and we'd fill in the grave one time we came to the grave and nobody had received an answer from the spirit. And the, it was really, really very tense. Then one man jumped up onto the pile of earth and he said, we won't find his spirit. He was a Christian and his spirit's with God. That was, that was tremendous to hear that. Ministry was mainly reading from passages of scripture translated into the language as well as feeble attempts at preaching in Nanadara. I could tell you of a man who uh, came to me one morning to tell me of a dream. He saw Moses with the law and he was in tears about his sin because he had broken that law and he accepted Christ. Another man healed of certain, was healed of certain death by bone pointing and he coming to know Christ. Kids learnt English at Sunday school, uh, so that was much easier work. I had the privilege of seeing grain-making ceremonies, initiation ceremonies uh, of boys being made men, and the doubtful privilege of being taken to places forbidden by two women and children to see sacred stones. And that was a very doubtful privilege because of the very powerful oppression experience. I needed to pray the protection of the blood of Jesus to get away from the demands of the men that day. More mission staff came in about five years of our time there, and a couple of years being after a couple of years uh, being physically and emotionally and spiritually drained, we were able to take time off in Perth for a time of restoration. I got a job in the pre-delivery section of, Ford, of the Ford dealership down there a position which enabled me to take uh, Mondays and Fridays off from time to time 
to fly with aerial missions on weekend evangelistic and teaching trips in many places in WA. One of those trips, unfortunately, the plane was unserviceable and we did the trip by station wagon. Um, we met at a sheep station near Menzies, north of Kalgoorlie, on the Friday night. Had other meetings at Leonora and Mount Margaret and then on to Laberton for the final meeting on the Sunday night. The team of four of us was almost out of food and uh, we needed to eat before the meeting at Laverton. We went out bush a little way and uh, went out bush to uh, boil the billy for a cup of tea. The billy was almost boiling when uh, Claude Cottrell from uh, Cosmo Newbury up the trip came walking through the mulga trees and told us to follow him. We did and there on his fire he had stakes and damper uh, enough for us all. The Lord knows our needs and he provides. The town hall was filled that night, mainly with Aboriginal folk, and the quartet sang and uh, led the singing. George Howe gave the message, and he asked me to give the appeal and close the meeting. There was a large number of people came forward, and uh, we spent till after 1am in the morning counselling. We needed to drive back to Perth uh, in the early hours, tired but rejoicing that the Lord had done more than we had asked or thought. A couple of weeks later, uh, the newspapers carried the story of the near massacre in, uh, at Laverton. The people from the local native reserve marched into town with spears, hitting sticks and rifles intent on revenge killing of every white man in town because one of them had molested one of the Aboriginal girls. The papers reported that because the little revival had taken place, there were some Aboriginal men who rose up in the crowd and persuaded them to return to the reserve, and we praise God for that. Dorothy and I went back to the mission, uh, back to the Western Desert area in Mount Margaret, to Mount Margaret, to, the, to manage the mission there. This was except for Neil, who was in Melbourne with his grandmother, because he couldn't take the heat of the desert areas. Mount Margaret was a great place to work. The people spoke English, and they loved the Bible teaching. Satanic oppression was very weak in that place, owing to the predominance of Christians in the area. But there was all the care of a small community, plus mission buildings, etc. Uh, but uh, it was good to know that the, that the hospital and uh, police were only 30 kilometres away in Laverton or 65 kilometres down the track at Leonora. And the mail truck came through twice a week carrying supplies. But the morals of the local children were not good. And it seemed best for our three older children to go to Melbourne. After some months, we learned from a friend of the family that our three were not going well and suggested we should come home to care for them. So Dorothy returned in October 1971. The mission had no replacement for me, so I continued on. How did I cope with that separation? Well, what did the Lord do when he was facing big things in his life? He withdrew himself to pray. Um, and uh, on one occasion, he went up to the mountain to pray. 
And just just on the outskirts of Mount Margaret, there's a, a little hill, little mountain, and you could look from the top of this mountain over Lake Carey, which was a long, long salt lake, reaching about 140 k's down in the direction of Melbourne. And uh, I would go up onto this mountain with a mission behind me, looking down this salt lake and spent the time in prayer. It was arranged that I would fly to Melbourne for Christmas that year and return the following week as the two Aboriginal men could not manage caretaking the store for much longer than that. I had no idea how long this was going to be. And uh, the praise the Lord replacement was found in February and I was able to leave for Melbourne in March. Looking back on those pretty rugged experiences, I marvel at the way the Lord sustained us and provided again and again, being reminded so often, without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. I praise the Lord for the many enduring friendships formed with missionaries and Aboriginal people during that 10-year period. A return Kerrang was necessary to visit the church and my parents at Barraport. They walked into Arnhem and Greenwoods to catch up with those with whom I'd worked some 12 years earlier. Bill Greenwood called me in his office and asked me how I was going, what I was doing. And uh, he said, there's a job waiting for you here. When can you start? So I said, oh, I need to find a place to rent first. And uh, But on that same day, we had a place to rent and, uh, and a job to start as soon as I was ready. The worst recession for a long time was in progress, yet the Lord had a job for me. Still, it was not easy leaving the people we loved in Western Australia. Always always, also, there was the struggle of leaving the work of the Lord's calling. However, the Lord confirmed many times since it was the correct decision. We learnt that mission is not tied to a particular organisation or place. Mission is everywhere. Availability to the Lord to be anywhere and respond to his leading and particular function is all he requires. God opened up many opportunities for serving him and over time I learned that leaving the mission of our first calling was not failure but progress in the journey of following Jesus. You'll recall that I used uh, a crystal set um, listening to 3SH radio and years later, while spending our aforementioned time in Perth, I had a friend who was uh, licensed to retrieve stuff from the from the local tip. He bought some old radios uh, to us so I could find bits to help Edward build his crystal set. Little did I know then that Edward, about grade two or three at the time, would become... Uh, would become an avionics engineer with MAF and travel to overseas countries working on aeroplanes. Recently, doing a complete refit of radios in Mongolia and shortly to do the same in Madagascar. He'll be here in a couple of weeks on his way to uh, Madagascar, actually. 
But I believe that it's the small things we do in family that are going to have great impact on our family's future. Sitting around the table at evening mealtime was usually the opportunity to discuss the school day, working through maths problems or English essays and much, much more. Finance was very tight um, and we would discuss this as a family and make decisions about making small purchases and what we needed to sacrifice other thing, in other ways in order to make that, uh, that happen. But I think this gave the children an appreciation of um, the value and uh, to become good stewards of possessions. Bible reading, praying around the tables for our missions list and scripture memorising, I believe also had a major part in laying a firm, firm foundation for our five children. Through the children's high school years, I think a little bit earlier than that as well, I was busy studying theory for commercial pilot's licence and also BA in biblical studies, which the kids called my mail-order degree. Uh, also, there was always preparation for Sunday school church services, uh, perhaps a bit of reading up on soil chemistry and relation to work with northern gypsum. There seemed to be endless study. Dorothy was also busy uh, with Sunday school prep and coaching the children, especially in English and maths. People used to ask me how the children do so well, and I would answer that from before birth to the present, there were people from many, many places who regularly prayed for them. That was true, but looking back now, <clears throat> I've come to the realize, to realize that the unintentional example of Dorothy and I in, in family life probably influenced them greatly. And I hasten to say another evidence of the mercy and grace of God working in our lives. Having been converted at Crane Convention meant the convention ministry has had a, a special significance for me. Being involved in the, on the committee, local committee here during the 70s, 80s and 90s and camping at Belgrave Heights, visiting Echuca, Warwick and Wheel Conventions uh, has been extremely profitable for our family. All their kids had a network of friends and they met at Campaigners for Christ camps at Belgrave. And this made um, transitioning to Melbourne for uh, tertiary education so much easier for them. I praise the Lord that each of them serve in various capacities. Um, and I was just thinking about, you know, just the little involvement in Kareem Band and taking the boys along to learn an instrument. Uh, David's probably playing his euphonium at, uh, at um, Yakandanda Church this morning usually does. And there was a text message this morning with a photo of uh, David's son, William, um, playing in the, the ship band on the, um, the Doulos Hope along the shores of Mexico somewhere. So just these little things that we do in family life seem so significant at the time, but they can have a huge impact and go down generation to generation. It has been a great privilege to be part of the church family here, the church which supported us financially over our 10-year period of missions. It would take a long time to tell of the instances resolved because of the prayer backing of the church. 
Answer to prayers for wisdom and strength for the tasks in hand. The inspiration to use camp pie tin to repair a truck sufficient to get to a destination. Or the time looking at the campfire, deciding to make a long bonfire over a very boggy section of road to, uh, to be able to get through the next day. Or the time when the blade came off the fan, going through the radiator on the small Austin truck. I recalled then my grandfather saying years before that soap and ashes could temporarily repair a leaking water tank. I was taking about 20 adults, TB suspects, to Kalgoorlie for x-rays and the soap and ashes enabled returning the 100k to, to Warburton for a more substantial repair. I believe such recalling is inspiration by the Holy Spirit in answer to prayer. Actually, a, a full uh, account of these instances can be found in this book, The Wheels and Wings in the Wilderness, which is available at the local library. But I'm sure the church was praying for safety the day I went into the tool room at Warburton Rangers. The room was at the end of our house and had an outside door and young fellas had broken in during the night and this was discovered when I went out to get tools for the men for work the next morning. The box of jelly night was usually high on a shelf separate from the metal, also the tin of de detonators. It was horrifying to see jelly night, about 15 sticks of jelly night spilt out of the box and 60 detonators on the floor intermingled with spring leaves and short pieces of windmill pump rods that were used by the women in digging rams and a lot of other tools and things. The working men came in and they had a look and they knew the danger and they fled the scene. I was playing pick-up sticks with this conglomerate of explosive metals for about two hours, knowing that one false move would be the end of me, the house and all. The head of our bed adjoined the tool room. and It was a miracle that detonators were not fired when falling into the metal objects below. It was good to know there was a church at home praying, having no idea of the immediate, of the immediate circumstances but praying. Sometime after that incident, uh, just before we left Warburton, um, I asked the other fellows on the staff if they wanted to use the jelly and they said no, they didn't know how to use it, they didn't want to use it. So I blew it up and I tell you what, even that shocked me. <laughs> yeah, a deep hole about half a mile away from the mission and uh, filled it up, sandbags on the top and... Uh, heavy weight on the top of that and I think every building of the mission got sprayed with stones that day. The <laughs> explosion was so great. I'm glad that didn't happen in the tool room next to our bedroom that night. During later years uh, of working life I was invited to join Gideon's and this has been and still is a wonderful ministry of sharing God's word. I couldn't remember how long, so I had a look on the Gideon website this morning to find out, and I was amazed. That was 20 years ago, 20 years ago. But this ministry still is a wonderful ministry of sharing the Word of God, telling people that Jesus saves, 
visiting churches to tell of the work, going to high schools to present New Testaments, standing in the streets of Melbourne offering New Testaments to university students and others passing by, <coughs> placing Bibles in motels. We go to bless others but find great blessing in so doing. I thank God for the extra dimension in this service. God, the, God's grace has enabled in this too. I wonder how long we can continue to serve in these many ways. So I agree, um, I agree that Henry Martin was right when he said, if God has work for me to do, I cannot die. In other words, I am immortal until my work is done. Warburton Range is revisited. Well, just one of those visits was at the time of the revival through the centre. And what a joy to see the labours of uh, former years now being fruitful as people came into in confession to Christ, um, born to new life in Christ and nightly singing praise and testifying the Lord's work in their lives and being filled with the Holy Spirit. The leaders of the revival were mainly young fellows whom I'd often pushed through the showers before school, literally pushed, who would later become church leaders uh, for many years. It was the fruit of a number of missionaries over the years. In summary, I marvel at what the Lord has done with this raw material. Through nearly seven decades of endeavouring to walk this journey with the Lord, I marvel still and again that a 19-year-old farm boy was willing, uh, was obedient to the Lord, inviting me to the place where the Lord found and saved me. I never did regret that decision to follow Jesus. I'm grateful for the opportunities the Lord has given me to, serve, to learn about him and to serve him. It's been a great privilege to serve in different ways in the local church. But above all this is the faithfulness of God in correcting me, stretching me, instructing me and moulding me and to we praise God and to him be the glory. As we come to the end of our month of testimonies, I just want to make some more final remarks. We've heard some wonderful stories of people's lives through the trials and triumphs, discovering the working of God in and through them. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, there is a time to be born and a time to die, but in between is vocation, and that is very, very important. Psalm 90 verse 9 says in the King James Version, we live our lives as a tale that is told, or as a sigh in other versions, indicating the brevity of life. Interesting that, Jerem that the Lord spoke to Jeremiah <coughs> Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And again, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Plans for peace are not evil, to give you a hope and a future. This was a prophecy regarding the return of the Jews to Jerusalem some 70 years, uh, after 70 years of captivity in Babylon. I take that verse personally because of the many times over the last 12 to 18 months, this verse has claimed my attention in many contexts. The Lord has plans for each one of us. 
And lastly, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I believe on the basis of these verses that God has pre-written our life stories. God, by virtue of his eternality, knows my story from beginning to end. And his story for me continues to be revealed as I wait on him. I wonder how closely my story matches the story God has already written for me. And I challenge you this morning to consider how closely your story may be aligning with God's story for you. I want no clapping this morning, please, but I would just like you to pause for a moment to consider your story, to consider if it may be the same or different to what God might have for you. Heather and the team will lead us in our closing hymn. Thank you. And as they come, I read our song as my personal testimony. It's out of Sankey's, by the way. All the way my Saviour leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whate'er before me, Jesus doeth all things well. All the way my Saviour leads me, cheers each winding path I tread, gives me grace for every trial, feeds me with the living bread. Though my weary steps may falter and my thirst and my soul a thirst may be, gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. All the way my Saviour leads me, oh, the fullness of his love, perfect rest to me is promised in my Father's house above. When my spirit clothed immortal wings his flight to realms of day, this my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way.